Would you turn your Bible to Psalm chapter 62, Psalm 62, verse 11. Well, praise the Lord for 177 on the buses today. Brother Mickey, Brother Danny Pettigo, and Brother Richard Childress uh, were the three top buses as far as attendance is concerned, and we want to congratulate them and say thank you for bringing people in. And you'll notice what happens when you bring people in. Some of them get saved. And that's what happened this morning in the service. We give God the glory for that. Our Bible's open to Psalm 62, verse 11. The subject tonight, hindrances to spiritual power. Hindrances to spiritual power. This morning we spoke on the subject, hindrances to prayer. Now God wants us to pray. There are, too, there are a lot of hindrances come all the time. We dealt with some of those this morning. God wants us to have power. It is his not, not His will for us to go limping through life with no spiritual power. But there are some hindrances to that power. May we pray. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit of God will move across our hearts tonight. We thank you for those who have been led by the Spirit of God to be in this service. We pray that just now the Holy Spirit would speak encouragement. We're thankful for these songs that have blessed us and made us remember the rock from which we are hewn and the value and joy and the security of knowing Christ. We pray that will give us a hunger and thirst to live to its fullest the abundant life you've given us and help us to care about those on the outside. Prepare our hearts, our people, this very church for revival. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 62, 11, a wonderful thought from the Word of God. David said, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Power belongeth unto God. If you hold your fingers there and turn to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, rather 18, 19 and 20, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the world. But verse 18 underscores, all power is given unto me. David said, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And then flip over to Acts 1.8, and notice what Jesus himself, God has given all power to Jesus. And these are the words of Jesus. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, 
and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And then will you look at Romans 1.16 when Paul picked that same theme up. He was writing to the Christians over at Rome, planning to come and visit them. He wrote the most marvelous doctrinal treatise that's ever been written in the book of Romans. And he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we see in the word of God that all power belongs to God. God has given this power to Jesus. Jesus said, I want to give it to you. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then Paul said, this power is in the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God under salvation. Now, whether that word is dunamis, seedling power, or whether it's authority, which means a legal term giving you the authority to act in God's stead, they ultimately reduce to the same thing. Some of the times when we read about power in the Bible, the word is from a little word dunamis, which means seedling power, with the illustration, you drop a little seed in the ground and it dies, it breaks open, it germinates, God gives it water and the sunshine comes from above and it begins to grow and it blossoms into something wonderful. Maybe a vegetable, maybe a beautiful flower. God says that's the way with the gospel of Christ. It is the dunamis of God dropped into our hearts that begins to glow and grow and produce something powerful for his glory. Or whether that word is from the Greek word which means authority. God has given that authority on earth to Jesus and he has passed it on to you and me. So you and I have the power of God in our lives. The world doesn't have that, but we do. And if you read history before it's completely rewritten, you'll see that the world has been changed from the first century to now by those who had the power of God residing in their lives. First, the gospel was preached around the world. Wherever the gospel was preached, there was enlightenment. People put their sticks and stones away and quit bowing before little God shelves. And they began to worship the God of heaven. And God began to give them insight into how to do things. One simple illustration is the life of R.G. Letourneau, who at 40 years of old was bankrupt. He gave his life in partnership to God. And he said, God, I'll give to you. I'll share with you whatever you give to me. And I'm going to go into partnership with you all the rest of my life. And God began to give his mind visions of earth-moving equipment. He had no money to produce those, so he began to write sketches as God showed his mind. He wrote sketches of them, and he sold them to this person and that person. And pretty soon, the sales from those sketches began to give him income. And after a while, he began to produce them himself. And in the end of his life, I met him personally and had 
fellowship with him when he was 85 years old. He put his foot against the wall of one of his factories and he just laughed and he said, God changed my life when I was 40. And I've been able to give God 90% of everything he's given to me and I'm living on the 10%. The power of God unleashed in his life. Now folks, every one of us has potential. We have spiritual potential. We have spiritual power. It is a birthright from God. If you've been saved, the authority and the power of God is resident inside of you. God put it there. Now, what are the hindrances to it? Why do we not live in that power? I want to name a few tonight. Number one, even though we have that power resident in our lives, we substitute tawdry, cheap things that are not the real thing. For example, as Christians, sometimes we talk about our beautiful building. And we lean on the building. We say, say isn't this wonderful? Look what God has given us. <clears throat> I'm thankful for this beautiful auditorium. I don't know whether you ever stopped to think about it. It was designed in the color scheme of the New Jerusalem. Those windows represent the very stones of the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. In the sunshine, you could see it. On the back wall are crosses that represent the churches spoken of in Revelation 2 and 3. The chandeliers have the chi and roll on them, which are the Greek letters for Jesus, representing Jesus is the light of the world. The only way you can get light is from Jesus. And then there's a cross there, representing that it was at the cross we first received the light of God. In the back is an arrow pointing heavenward. One of the young men who is now a preacher came to our service one day, he was in the, in the military. I don't know whether he listened to what was preached, but he said all the way through the service, he saw that arrow pointing to heaven, he came down the aisle. He said, I wanna give my heart to Christ. God spoke to me through that arrow pointing to heaven and I wanna go there. He's now preaching the gospel. I don't wanna gloat over this, I wanna tell you, this is a beautiful auditorium, thank God for it, but it'll pass away. Our trust is not in this auditorium, not in the beauty of the building. We've lived long enough to know that somebody else can build a prettier building. And somebody else can build a more stately building. Somebody else can build a bu bigger building and can reach more people through it. Our power is not in the building. No matter how effective it is, the power is not in your home. Some of you live in a house that maybe costs $10,000. Some of you live in a $50,000 house. There may be somebody here tonight lives in a $300,000 house. But your power is not in that building you live in. Sometimes we think it is, and we gloat over it, and we rest upon it, but that's not where our power is. Sometimes we think that our power is in the well-oiled machinery. I believe in organization. In the Sunday School lesson this morning, we read about God telling Paul to tell Titus to go down to Crete and organize the churches down there and appoint elders in all the churches and so on. The churches need to be organized and the work needs to be organized. 
But our power is not in the organization, no matter how good it is. There's some things that are so well-oiled and so well-machined and so well-organized that that work could go on and on and on if God didn't even exist. That's a shame. We dare not trust in the well-oiled machinery or organization of the work of God. As important as that is, that's a substitute for the reality. Sometimes we think that our polish before the world is the thing that's really important. And so we say, well, let's, get a, let's do everything in a polished way. Let's not oppose the world very much because they won't like it. And let's uh, uh, sort of water down what we say. And let's not get anybody very unhappy because we want to find out what the world is doing and get in step with the world. And all too often, God's church today has done that very thing. Getting in step with the world. But the world and the flesh and the devil are opposite and opposed to everything God stands for. Our, our power does not reside in any of the polish we have. Sometimes we think it, we just have influential members. Isn't that good? Influential members. I know of some places where if a person comes into the church and, and there's nothing wrong, I thank God for Christian bankers. I thank God for Christian government leaders. I thank God for Christian precious important people. Uh, just recently, uh, Mr. Bush, President Bush, went to Dallas. And when Sunday came, he went to First Baptist Church in Dallas. I was so glad he did that. But I want to tell you First Baptist Church in Dallas doesn't depend on its power from the, having the president in its audience. Just the other day when the president was in Louisville, there were hundreds of churches in Louisville. He went out to Highview where Bill Hancock is the pastor and attended that service. But I want to tell you, Bill Hancock's church doesn't get its power from the fact the president attended that service. They already had the power. They've already been reaching the people. And somehow God's Spirit seemed to lead the president there so he could hear a message from the man of God that is touching the lives of hundreds and thousands of people. Our power does not come from having influential members, as important as that is. Somebody told me once, preacher, if you wouldn't preach some of the things you preach, we could have some members of our church who would be influential in this city. Our authority and power does not come from influential members, nor wealth and splendor. Listen, Rome had all of these. Rome had the greatest cathedrals, the greatest buildings, the greatest Gothic architecture any church could ever have had. And they had it not only in the city of Rome, but all around the world. But Rome and its church had no power. Now they had political power. That's not the kind of power we're talking about. They had influential power. At one time, the Pope in Vatican could set one king on the throne of France and another king on the throne of England. He ruled the world. But that wasn't the kind of power Jesus was talking about. That was a substitution 
So there came a day one of, one of their own priests said, this is miserable. This is terrible. This is not God's power. He was crawling up the steps over in the Basilica in Rome on his knees, trying to do penance, trying to earn favor with God. And the verse from Romans came to his mind, the just shall live by faith. He got up from his knees and went back to Wittenberg in Germany and nailed 99 theses to the door of the church, telling why he couldn't be a priest in that church any longer. The power and authority does not come from that kind of thing. And when we substitute, even in our thinking, even in this room tonight, there may be some here who'd say, well, if we could just do things a little bit different, we'd have more of God's power. No, no, folks. God's power doesn't come by what we do. God's power doesn't come by who comes and, and what kind of influence we have. God's power is already on you. It's already resident in your life. Twice have I heard this, power belongs to God, and when you get God in your life, God's power is there, but there's something that hinders it. What is it? Secondly, prayerlessness hinders the power of God. When we rely upon education, we get what education can give. When we rely upon money, we get what money can give. When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can give. And all that's something. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can give. And that's everything. I wonder if we really believe that. On September 23, 1857, Jeremiah Lamphere was greatly concerned about America. This is in the history books. He wrote a letter, a note, to some of his friends and said, I want to meet. I'd like to meet you down at the church and just pray for revival in America. First day he got there, he met by himself. It was at noon. The second day, there was another person that joined him in prayer. The third day, somebody else came. He began to meet every day at noon. Instead of eating lunch, they went there to pray. After a while, there were 10. Then there were 20. Then there were 50. Then there were 100. Then there were 500. And the Fulton Street prayer meeting became one of the great moving movements in history, in Christian history. And out of that Fulton Street prayer meeting, came revival to America, the Great Awakening. Because some people said it's not through publicity, but it's through prayer that God gives power. Now folks, many of us are too busy to pray. I don't mean, you know, we can pray as we walk, and we need to do that. Paul said, pray without ceasing. You couldn't possibly be in the closet of prayer all the time. You couldn't possibly be on your knees all the time in prayer. We need to pray without ceasing as we drive down the road, as we do our work, wherever we are, we need to pray. But there, come, there, need to, there needs to come a time when we can get along with God and pray. Or meet with some like-minded people and just pray. Pour out our hearts to God in prayer. Prayerlessness is a sin. 
And a lot of us don't, don't, don't think of it like that. We just think, well, I'm too busy. Or I don't have my schedule arranged right. In the church, Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached in for years. Somebody came and said, Brother Spurgeon, I'd like to know how you have so much power in this church where people are getting saved all the time. You preach to 10,000 people every Sunday. How is it? He said, I won't show you. Just before the service, he took him down a winding staircase down to the basement of the church and opened the door and there were 20 men on their knees, not the pastor, but 20 laymen on their knees begging God to bless the service. They didn't wait for the pastor to get there. They just prayed. And God gave power in that church. Power. Prayer. Power. What could God do here if God's people would pray? I mean really pray. Agonize before God. Many years ago, in the 19, in 1961, we were in the flat roof building. In the spring of that year, we were going to have youth week, and we got some young people together and, and uh, asked them to serve as youth deacons. I remember they took that seriously. Now, generations change, but they took it seriously. And they would meet weekly and pray. Out of that, out of that group came what we called morning watch. On Friday mornings, the young people would meet here at the church and would sing and read the Bible and then get on their knees and pray for revival. Young people, teenagers in high school. Growing out of that prayer meeting came a new spiritual resurgence in the church. Some of you may remember Mrs. Brunson, who was a member of First Baptist Church for many years. Ms. Brunson was a great soul winner. Ms. Brunson visited our service. In that building, that auditorium, they had, we had posts that held the ceiling up. They're still back there. Some of them are concealed behind walls, but others are there, like in the office. And I'll never forget her standing by one of those posts when she stepped out in the aisle, held on to the post, reminding me of what Samson did when he said, God, give me power one more time. And Miss Brent Brunson stood by that post and she said, you're going to have a great revival in this church and hundreds are going to be saved and it's going to affect all this city. That's what happened. Why? Because some teenagers began to pray. When services was over, instead of standing around and gossiping or talking or going out during the service or getting up and walking in and out and going saying, I've got to go get in the car, I've got to leave and all that. You know what they did when the service was over? They'd say, in a crazy like way, they'd go over and get this teenager, this teenager, this teenager, and they'd say, come on, let's go over here. What are you going to do? We're going to pray. And they had prayer meetings. Prayerlessness is a sin. And one of the hindrances to prayer, power is our prayerlessness. Spiritual power comes as God's people called by His name humble themselves and seek God's face and pray. Thirdly, failure to hear and heed God's message. 
Now, the Pharisees were very religious people. They were right on almost everything. They believed the Old Testament. I believe they believed in inerrancy of Scripture. They believed in it so firmly they built walls around it, fences around it, so that because Saturday was a holy day, they built a fence around it so nobody would disobey it and said, you can't even take more than a few steps on Saturday. You can't even cook a meal on Saturday. They went beyond what the law said to protect the holiness of that day. They were religious people, very, very devout. But when Jesus came, they didn't hear God's message. They were so filled with themselves. Is it possible that God's people called by his name do not hear God's message today? We don't allow it to come inside our heart. We hear it with our ears and we either reject it or we say, well, that's just the preachers thought about this. I was amazed the other day when I was talking about one of the preachers that has a style of preaching that is, that's, that's harsh sometimes rude and the ones that could tolerate it said well that's just the way he is and then there are others that didn't like it at all and they failed to hear God speak through it I've never heard that man preach that he didn't have much content and great outlines and tremendous meat that you could gobble up and put in your soul and bless your heart. A lot of people don't, don't take God's word like that. They don't hear God's word. They don't heed it. They don't listen to it. They're obstructed by the style. Or their feelings are out on their sleeves and they get their feelings hurt and so they don't want to hear it because they're afraid it'll hurt their feelings. Now I want you to listen, turn your Bible to Amos, book of Amos. Chapter four, Amos chapter four. Hear this word ye what? What does your King James Version say? If you've got just a plain King James Version, what does it say? Yeah. Kind, K-I-N-E. Now what does kind mean, Brother Phil? Cows. It doesn't even mean just cows, it means fat cows. Who's he talking about? The cattle out there on the hills? He's not talking about the cattle, he's talking about women. Excuse me. What am I trying to say? I'm saying you wouldn't have liked Amos at all. You'd have hated, he'd have gotten up and walked out. He said, I'm, if he's going to preach tonight, I'm not coming. And that's exactly what they did. Listen to this. Hear this word, ye cows of Bashan, that are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, lo, the day shall come upon you, that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the, pal into the palace, saith the Lord. 
Come to Gilgal and transgress. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes after three years, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish free offerings. For so ye love to do, O ye children of God, saith the Lord God. And I have also given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, but you didn't return. Verse 7, verse 7, I have withheld the train, the rain from you, but you didn't return. Verse 9, I have smitten you with blight and mildew, but you didn't return. Verse 10, I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt, but you didn't return. Verse 11, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, but you didn't return. I have sent hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and all kinds of things, but you wouldn't listen. Therefore, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. That was Amos' message. You wouldn't have liked that. A lot of people today wouldn't have liked that. Neither did they. Look at chapter 5. I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 7. Turn over to chapter 7, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, another preacher, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee away into the land of Judah. And there eat bread and prophesy there, but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, it is the king's court. You're a hillbilly preacher. Go down there and preach in the woods. Don't preach like that in our city. That's what they were saying. Because they would not heed and hear the message of God. The message of the word of God says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. But a lot of God's people today don't have ears to hear God's message. And instead of listening to God's message and messenger, they're the ones that decide whether the messenger is crude and rude and we don't like him. And that's what they did in Amos' day. Beloved, that is a hindrance to power. I don't hear any amens, but that's what the Word of God says. It's a hindrance to spiritual power. For years I've warned young people that dancing is not God's will for your life. One lady went out and said, I wish we could get a pastor that wouldn't magnify the negatives like that. Her daughter ended up pregnant out of marriage. I want to know, is there anybody here that loves God's message? Will you hear it and listen to it? In great sacrifice, in the lifeblood of this church and our staff and this pastor, we've organized a school here to give you an alternative whether your kids would be subject to the humanism and all the stuff that's going on in the public school system. And some of you say, well, I'll just take my kids to the public school system, let them hear, hear all that stuff. That's up to you. We're not in competition. I'm just saying, in times like these, what are you going to do about it? 
Chris told a story the other day that I could hardly believe. I hadn't heard it, and I asked him to tell it. He said there was a woman that had her girl, 10-year-old girl, in the public school. And in the sex education class, they were teaching her all kinds of stuff. And they found her with a 14-year-old boy committing a fornication. And the, the mother of that 10-year-old girl got so disturbed, she went to the school and she said, I want to know what you're teaching. I want to sit in that classroom. They said, you can't sit in that classroom. You can't come in here. This is public school. It's only for the kids. You can make an appointment and talk to the teacher, but you can't come in the classroom. In some, classes, in some classes, they don't allow the kids even to take the textbooks home because of the trash that's in the textbooks. They would not listen to God's message or messenger. And the power in their lives became diluted. Spiritual power. What's the problem? Jonathan Edwards preached... He was greatly loved at the church in the New England. Wonderful preacher. One day he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. They tell us he read it. But the power of God was so much on that congregation that men cried and women fainted. And hundreds were saved. He kept on preaching the same thing. I think 10 years later, they asked him to resign. They said, we live in a different age today, Brother Edwards, and you're preaching the same old thing, same old thing. And he left heartbroken. They wouldn't listen to the Word of God. Hindrances to spiritual power, failing to hear and heed the message of God. What is God trying to say in times like these? When he sends the hurricanes and he sends the storms and the earthquakes and the floods and all these things, are, these just, are those just happenstance? Why is it that America has been shaken more than we've ever been shaken in any time in history by natural storms? What's God trying to say? Is God trying to say, or is that just... Well, that's just the way things are. Sometimes it happens here, sometimes it happens there. So what? We better listen. God is trying to speak to us. Amen. What is he saying? <coughs> Beloved, hear God's message. And let God just speak to your heart. And fill your heart with what his word is. And do what his word says, regardless of the way the world acts or receives it. And you'll have power with God. In the New Testament period, who had power with God? Those who heeded the word of God and listened to it and did it. Now, were they always popular? No, they killed them. They killed them. Well, I don't want to get killed. I'll just do whatever the world does. And that's our philosophy today. But God is looking for somebody who doesn't care, who will say, I'm going to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. If the people respond, praise the Lord. If they won't respond, I'm going to do it anyway. Because that's what God says. God is looking for somebody tonight who will stand up and say, I'll be his servant. I'll do it for God's sake. I'll be what he wants me to be. 
And I'm going to heed the message and hear the word, and I'm going to do it. Fifthly, fourthly, there's another hindrance to spiritual power. Poor living and little compassion. Poor living and little compassion. Turn your Bible to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. The poor, tawdry, cheap living of God's people. That's enough to weep over. In Revelation chapter 3, God has just been speaking to all the, three, the seven churches. Jesus' last message was a warning to all those churches. When he comes to the Laodicean church, he says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. You're trying to straddle the fence. You're lukewarm. And because you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. That was to God's church. That wasn't to the world. That was to you and me. That's to us. The poor, tawdry, cheap living in our lives robs us of spiritual power. We'll never have it back until we repent and say, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, and fill me. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, He doesn't have power in our lives. So therefore, when we go to witness, we don't have any boldness. We're scared. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us, and we're willing to say, Lord, if there's anything in my mind or life that is a controversy against you, I want to confess it and turn away from it. I want to give you my time, my talents, all there is of me, my tithe on the altar for God. Incidentally, I doubt if anybody can really have the full power of God and misuse the tithe. That's God's. And that's we're thieves and robbers when we steal from God. You, want to, you know, one of the great handicaps our church has had, this Glendale Baptist Church has had through the years. We have a wonderful people, precious people, and to me, you're the greatest people in all God's world. And we love to sing. And there's a nucleus here that, that's just filled with God. But somehow we've not been able to convey to the last person in the pew that his tithe belongs to God. And as a result, the church has unpaid bills over the years. Oh, we get them paid eventually. We don't have the things that God wants us to have. We ought to be on television. There are many other things. I, I don't want to get stuck at this point, but I want to tell you, God's people need to tithe their incomes. If you're here tonight and you're not a tither, you're a thief. Yeah. 
You say, preacher, I don't like that. I'm getting offended. I'm not going to come back. Well, I love you, but I wouldn't be declaring the whole gospel of Christ if I didn't tell you that. You're thieving. You're stealing from God if you don't tithe your income. And so, therefore, you're, you're limiting God's power in your life. The poor living of God's people. The music. Parents, check out the music your kids listen to. This is an unbelievable age. 15, 25 years ago, you didn't have to check out the kids' music. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. There's nothing wrong with that. Way back in the hills, as a boy I once wandered. Nothing wrong with that. But the stuff they're listening to today isn't like that. They're not ballads. They're filth, pornography. The lyrics are filthy, would make you vomit if you listen to them. And yet you let those kids buy those records and listen to them in their room with their earphones. And they're sending their kids into spiritual oblivion. Moms and dads, a lot of it is your, it's because of you. You've let it happen. See, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And I love kids. Man, I was a kid, and I love kids. I've spent a great deal of my life ministering to young people. And I love them. But they need guidance. Just as we all need guidance. The poor, tawdry, cheap living part of God's people limits the power of God. And it decreases our effectiveness in our witness. Dr. Edelman, Leo Edelman, precious man of God, he was my Hebrew professor at the seminary. He'd been pastor of Parkland Baptist Church in Louisville for 10 years. He was later president of the New Orleans Seminary. Had an illustrious career. He's very sick now. Lives in, in Middletown, I think, Kentucky. But Dr. Edelman was a missionary in Israel for 10 years. He said, one day I went into a drugstore. Just sat at a drugstore in Israel, in Jerusalem, to get a Coke or something. And he said, there was a Jewish man who had migrated there, immigrated there from Russia. And he was uh, sitting there and I began to talk to him and he said, why in the world have you come 10,000 miles away from, from your country to be a missionary here? Now this man had immigrated from Russia, but originally he had lived in America. He'd gone from America to Russia and then to, to Israel. And uh, Dr. Edelman said, well, I've come here because I have a burden for the souls of the Jews, and I want to see them saved. And he began to witness to the man. And the man just sat there and listened and listened and listened. He said, uh, sir, I used to live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I lived there for 10 years. I lived two doors from a Baptist church. He said, nobody ever told me what you're telling me right now. Do you mean you've come 10,000 miles away from home to tell me a story that your people back in your country wouldn't go two doors to tell me? 
lack of spiritual power. We're caught up in the world. We live like the world, we act like the world, we walk like the world. This was in USA Today. Listen to it. Is God illegal in our schools? After her book report on the Bible, 12-year-old Rebecca Higgins had the Bible she gave to classmates confiscated by school officials. Meanwhile, in Russia, students listened to Bible stories during class time. Our Supreme Court has let a ruling stand that said it is illegal for a Denver teacher to keep a Bible, even a closed one, on his desk. But Russian teachers can show a film on the life of Jesus Christ to their students. And now our Supreme Court says a rabbi, or anyone for that matter, can't mention God in a graduation prayer. Yet in Russia, once called the evil empire, teachers can give lessons on ethics and morality from a biblical day. We do not realize the seriousness of the times in which we live. And we who are called by God's name have limited God's spiritual power in us. And instead of saying, Lord, live through me, flow through me, walk through me, have your way in my life, we've been cronies with the world and the flesh and the devil and don't even know it. And you hear a message like this and you curl up inside and you say, I wish you wouldn't preach like that. I don't like it. Or you hear some John the Baptist come along today or some Amos and you say, I don't like his crude way. I'm not going to hear that. Shame on us. We need to repent. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the people of God that have stayed and listened to this tonight. I want to pray that we'd get disturbed about our little power, our little spiritual power. Help us not just to be content with being saved, be on our way to heaven and know if we die tonight, we'll go to heaven. We thank God for that. But Lord, Stir in the hearts of your people a desire for more. To go on with God and to have that legacy, that birthright you promised. Power belongs to God. And Jesus said, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Lord, if we've grieved the Holy Spirit, we ask you to cleanse us and forgive us. And fill our hearts and minds and lives with the power and authority of God. Oh, for a divine discontent so that your people called by your name will humble ourselves, seek your face, turn from our wicked ways, and trust you to hear from heaven to forgive our sin and heal our land. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? I want to thank you for listening a long time tonight. I've delivered what I thought God put on my soul to deliver. Now, if God has spoken to anybody here, 
Any kind of commitment you ought to make, do it. You may just want to come and kneel at the altar. Maybe just stand where you are and make any kind of commitment to God and that satisfies Him and you. But I want to ask you to do something with this message. Ask God to restore the glory. There's a, there was a popular song a few years ago that said, let's go out in a blaze of glory. I want to say that to us tonight. Let's go out for God. You talk about going out for football and out for basketball. Let's go out for God in a blaze of glory. Let's be filled with His power, His authority, His Spirit. And wherever there's something we need to repent of, let's repent of it. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, would you come to Christ and trust Him as your Savior? While we begin to sing, what's our page? 312, come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord.